0: Sadly, in our day and age, we tend to view sin as a boo-boo, a mistake. We lessen the severity of it, rather than the pernicious evil that is inherent within us. Let's talk about the reality of sin next on Abounding Grace. The Ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, this is Abounding Grace. Our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, returns us to our series we've entitled The Reality of Sin. You know, in our current culture, we tend to minimize sin. We use terms like mistakes and, again, boo-boos. But really, the scriptures are much clearer on the issue. It is an evil, a pernicious evil, a, a heinous crime against God. If ever there was a victim to be found in this equation of sin, it's God. So we're looking at the reality of sin so that we might more clearly understand the magnificent beauty of Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace.
1: Let's begin by asking God to bless the preaching of His Word. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You for speaking to us so clearly, so powerfully, so plainly so inescapably in your word. And we thank you for bearing testimony to our hearts, convincing us of the divine authority of your word. And now, Father, we pray that you would subdue our hearts to it and to you in it, and make us teachable, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen. This is the fourth Sunday now in our study of the book of Genesis that we have spent on the reality of sin. And the reason that I've taken so much time in studying this subject is not because I'm masochistic, but because understanding sin and all of its ramifications is essential to understanding everything in the Christian life. It is essential to understanding yourself, why you are the way you are, It is essential to understanding the person and work of Christ, your relationship with God, and everything else. And one of my goals in this little mini-series on sin is to try and help you to see sin in the most loathsome, detestable thing you can think of. And if you don't think of it like that, you are opening yourself to a multitude of miseries. In fact, it is such a loathsome thing that throughout Scripture, it uses figures and metaphors to express just how repulsive sin is. Sin is referred to in the Bible as mire and as dung. It is referred to as minstrel blood. It is referred to blood that is connected to childbirth. It is referred to as excrement as putrefication, as a corpse that is decaying. It is compared to leprosy and various other malignant diseases because the Bible wants you and I, whenever we think of sin, to see it as repulsive, loathsome, and the most ugly thing in all of our lives. Because whenever we commit it in thought, word, or deed... It has a corrupting influence on us. It is infectious and it spreads. And as the great Puritan John Owens said, we must always be at killing sin because it is always at killing us. Now let me give you a very quick thumbnail review of what I said about sin over the past three weeks. The first week, we looked at the subject of sin. I spoke of its origin and said that its origin is not in God. God is not the author of sin, although he has it all under control. We saw that our environment is not the origin of sin, so we are not products of our environment. We are not victims of our environment, but God does hold us accountable for all of our actions. We saw that sin originates with the tempter, Satan himself, who came to this earth to plant unbelief in the heart of man, which would produce disobedience and rebellion against God in man's life, and therefore, damn him to hell forever, unless, of course, God's grace intervenes. Then after we looked at the origin of sin, we saw the reason for sin. If God is in control of things, if God has foreordained whatever comes to pass and is in total control, why in the world did He allow something as terrible as the fall of man into sin, which plunged the rest of us into darkness and sin and death and misery? Why didn't He stop it? Why did He allow it to happen if He's in control? And the answer is... Just as simply as I can possibly put it. The reason God allowed sin to come into this world was to give Him the excuse to send Jesus into the world. That's the reason. If there was no sin, you would never have Jesus. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Then we saw the definition of sin. And we saw that you can't define sin except by the standard of God's law. Sin is not what you feel it is. Sin is not what the culture says it is. Sin is what God says it is. And the Bible was given to us, particularly the law of God, to define sin. So that we would know the difference between good and evil. We saw something of the character of sin. That sin is disobedience. To God, it is a distrust of God. It is trying to kick God out of our life as the final authority for our lives. It is rebellion against God. It is the desire on our part to play God ourselves, and it is a caving in to the lies of Satan that God isn't really in control, and that we can run the risks of sin, and yet. Not have to pay the consequences for sin. But however you define it, you must always define sin as the transgression of or the disregard of the law of God revealed in Scripture. It is disobedience to God's law and rebellion. And then last week we saw something of the transmission of sin throughout the entire human race. How did sin spread so rapidly? How is it that within just a few centuries after the creation of the first man and woman who were made perfect in the perfect Garden of Eden, did the whole human race become so rotten and so violent and so wicked? In fact, it became so bad that God had to to drown the entire human race except for one family. And why is it that after that flood subsided and Noah and his family began to repopulate the earth, that again, in a relatively short period of time, the whole human race was full of sin once again. It is because there has never been one single person that has had a human mother and a human father that was not born a sinner and that wasn't sinful from the moment that they were conceived. And as a result, all of us die. Why is that? We saw last week that it is because of our biological and covenantal relationship with Adam, our great-great-great-great-great-granddaddy. Just as we inherit certain physical traits from our parents on back, so we inherit in our lives a desire to sin against God, the condemnation of God upon our lives, and death because of our connection with Adam. Now, I've told you that the topic of sin is very difficult for a preacher to speak on. Why? Because it is something he also must struggle with. Well, today is the most unpleasant of all both to preach and to hear. Because today's message is about the consequences of our sin. And I want us to look particularly at that third chapter of Genesis. Because the consequences of the first sin that was ever committed is the consequence of every sin committed ever since. Now, if you remember, I made a similar statement a couple of weeks ago about the nature of sin. And we saw that the nature of the first sin has been the nature of every sin committed ever since. Well, now, today I want you to see that the consequences of the first sin is the consequences of every sin that is committed ever since. And there are basically three consequences. Look with, if you will please, at chapter 3. First of all, and the most obvious, was the loss of fellowship with God and with man. Second of all, there was the anger and curse of God. And thirdly, there was death. These three consequences of the first sin are what every sin sense produces and deserves. So let's look at each of these. And those of you who are outside of Christ, if you are not a Christian here today, then these are the very things you are experiencing right now and will experience progressively until you die. And then you will experience the worst form of death there is experienced in eternity. And your only hope of escape is in Jesus Christ. Now, let's look at the consequences of the very first sin in Genesis 3. First of all, there was a loss of fellowship, a loss of fellowship with man and with God. Now, remember, before Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, everything was wonderful. Human society was perfect, even though there were only two human beings. Man's relationship with God was uninterrupted. Everything was as it should be. Life was wonderful and happy. Adam and Eve got along and they loved each other and they were together all the time and involved in each other's lives. And there was great unity and harmony and deep friendship. But sin comes into the picture. And what's the first thing that happens? All of this rich, wonderful fellowship and harmony and friendship was demolished. For instance, what is the last thing we read about perfect Adam and Eve in the second chapter of Genesis? It says they were naked and they were not ashamed. Here you have a perfect relationship between man and woman, and the nakedness for them was no embarrassment whatsoever. And what is one of the first things you read about in Genesis 3? They sewed fig leaves together to try and hide their nakedness. Because there was a breakdown in fellowship and communion between man and his wife. Now, what's one of the first things you read about in Genesis 4? Cain kills Abel. There is a breakdown in human relations one of the first results of the first sin was a loss of fellowship, communion, friendship, and harmony between people that has since intensified and exaggerated. And that's why you have wars upon wars, massive divorce rates, and mass murders. And that's why you have a fragmentation of culture. That's why you have a breakdown in relationships, because sin has entered into the picture. Whatever sin, whenever sin takes place, unless it is dealt with biblically in Christ, it will always result in a breakdown of relationships between people, just as much today as it did with Adam and Eve. If in a marriage you allow a sinful attitude or trend in your relationship with your husband or your wife to continue, and you don't deal with it, hoping that it will eventually go away, or somehow it's going to change, you are dead wrong. It will break the relationship between you and your husband or wife. Or if you think there's a sinful tendency in your relationship with your children, you know you're not doing something right, but you're willing to deal it. You're not willing to deal with it, and you're hoping that all the other things that you're doing right will overcome this sin. You are dead wrong. Sin will break the relationship between you and your child. So no matter what the human relationship is, sin does today exactly what it did in Adam's day it will break and destroy the richest, sweetest relationships between people in your life. Even when you try everything you can to defend and preserve these relationships and sin breaks into them, it will break them to pieces. Because that is what sin always does. Beloved, if you want to ruin good relationships, you just keep on sinning. Because sin destroys fellowship with other people. You can count on it. But worse than that, sin causes a loss of fellowship with God. Where did God find Adam in Genesis 3? He found him hiding in a garden from him as if he could hide from God. Now, do you think when God said, Adam, where are you? He had really misplaced Adam and didn't know where he was. Of course not. God wasn't asking for information. He was acting just like a parent. When someone has gotten into the cookie jar, and you only have one child with you at home who could have possibly done this, And you ask, who got into the cookie jar? You're you're not really asking for information. There's only one person besides you there. The question is a means of penetrating the conscience. And the point is that Adam was hiding from the God that he once loved. The God that he considered the most valuable thing in his life. The God with whom he had perfect, undisturbed fellowship and friendship. Now, that whole relationship is broken and he's hiding from God. And later on, at the end of chapter 3, we read about God driving Adam and Eve out of the garden. There was a total breakdown in relationship between man and God. And God expelled them from the Garden of Eden. And what was the Garden of Eden? Do you remember? What's the most important thing the Bible teaches us about the Garden of Eden? Do you remember from our study several weeks ago? It was the home of God. It was God's home on earth. And in the last verses of Genesis 3, God chases Adam and Eve out of his home. And they become strangers to God. And that is the worst thing that sin does to a person. It separates him from Almighty God. Let's look at some verses. Let's look first at Isaiah 51, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. Neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Now let me read that second verse again. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Sin does today exactly what it did in Adam's day it separates you from god it causes a breakdown in your relationship with god so that he can, you cannot expect god to hear you now sometimes god sovereignly hears the prayers of unbelievers for various and sundry things there are examples in scripture It's not exactly correct to say that God never hears the prayers of unbelievers for various temporal needs. But listen, unbelievers have no reason to expect that God will ever hear their prayers. They have no basis on which to pray. It is an audacious thing for an unbeliever to pray. The Bible says that sin has separated us from God and that he will not hear us. Now, unbelievers say blessings over their food. They pray at funerals. They pray at weddings. They certainly pray when tragedy strikes as if God is listening to them. And except for those extraordinary situations in his sovereignty, the Bible says that God's ear does not hear the pleas for help of the unbeliever. Beloved, that's what sin does. When a person sins against God, breaks his law, the first thing that is affected is his relationship with God. And beloved, if you are cut off from God, you are cut off from the rest of your life. If you are separated from God, nothing else is going to fit together. Every other relationship is going to go sour. All of your efforts of trying to make something out of life and understand life are going to fall apart if God is not the root of your life. Scripture says God is the source of life. And when we separate ourselves from God because of our sin, all of life just shrivels up. The consequence of that first sin is the consequence of every sin that has ever been committed. And when a person loses his communion with God, he becomes less than human. Augustine said, O Lord, thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Well, if a person is out of accord with God, if his sins have separated him from God, then Augustine's words are most true of man. There is no rest for the wicked. His whole life is one of restlessness. There is no rest for his weary heart. Because the only place a, human's being, a human being's heart can really find rest, because of the way it was created, is in the triune God. And when you separate yourself from God, the rest of your life will be characterized by restlessness. Well, what is the second consequence of that first sin? The second consequence of that first sin is a life lived under the anger and the curse of God. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. You see, God pronounced a curse on the central roles of man and woman here. He curses that which is most important to woman in her productivity and her meaning in life, which is childbearing. He curses the man in his central role of vocation and productivity or labor, so that nothing in all of his life has fulfillment for him now. Both man and woman are separated from the home of God. And until God brings them back home, nothing in life, childbearing to a woman, vocation to a husband, nothing is going to bring any fulfillment in life. Why? Because of their deliberate sin against God. God's anger and God's curse rest upon the entirety of their lives. That's what God says in Romans one eighteen.
0: And this is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church of San Jose. As we conclude our time today, we invite you to reach out to us. Let us know the program encourages you as you take the time to join us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear from you. It means a great deal to us. It always does. 408 866 5607 is our phone number. Again, 408 866 5607. If you wish to visit us online, you'll be able to gather more information about us, who we are, what we believe, and where we meet. It's all found at reformedheritage.org. That's reformedheritage.org. You can also drop us an email there as well. We even have past messages available online that you can tap into freely at your convenience. Again, reformedheritage.org or call 408-866-5607. Now, normally, we would invite you to join us for worship, but because of the shelter-in-place orders, we are suspending our in-person worship services here at Abounding Grace and Reformed Heritage Church of San Jose. If you'd like to know more, again, call us at 408-866-5607 or visit our website, reformedheritage.org. And then we also invite you to write to us. If that is something you don't mind doing, picking up a pen and paper, we'd love to hear from you. You can write Abounding Grace, PMB 402, 1484 Pollard Road, and that's here in Los Gatos. The zip code is 95032. Thank you for spending time with us today. We look forward to hearing from you and looking forward to spending time with you in God's Word again here soon on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner.